Ladies, here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue. It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at The Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you. Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's. And be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe. There'll be panels, parties, immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny. Get your tickets now, sugar, at the uncannyexperience.com. Bum bum bottom, 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 bum you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, we're meeting the kids we didn't know we had, and we're writing our emotions right into the sun! Don't you mean sunset? N- no, I definitely mean the sun. With Mark Grayson and Adam Eve, as experienced in Invincible, the end of all things, from Image Comics and Skybound Entertainment, and we'll be applying Mark Brackett's Permission to Feel, unlocking the power of emotions to help our kids, ourselves, and our society thrive to their relationship woes. If all things have gone according to plan, you are listening to this episode while Lisa and I are in the air, flying first to Atlanta and then to San Diego for the Comic-Con International. And boy, are our arms tired. Get it? Because yep. it's like we're it's like we're Mark, or we're like it's like oh. we're Tara. Okay, uh-huh. flying f- f- through the power of strength. Yeah. Uh-huh. But instead, we'll be using an airplane. Yeah, you found a way to make that joke funny. <laughs> <laughs> You're so supportive. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to be supportive before travel. If you're not supportive before travel, then travel's going to go terribly. That's right. If you've listened to our last two episodes, our conversations with Shannon and Luke Lieberman, as well as Tyler Crook, then you know we have a lot planned for this week in the podcast feed. Hopefully you've already smashed that subscribe button. Last year we went all out with four episodes during Comic-Con week, and this time we were like, could we do six episodes during Comic-Con week? And that's what we're attempting to do. I don't know if we've succeeded because we haven't completed the record sessions of all of those six episodes. It's in process (laughs) right now. But Lisa's really optimistic, and I'm trying to, like, latch myself onto her optimism. I think we can get it done. Oh, yeah. Right now, our our can is crowded like like the the ladies room between panels at Hall H. <laughs> we have Daniel Warren Johnson's Patreon episode about the NAM in there. We've got Paul Cornell talking about Con and On in there. We have both Julie and Stan Sakai in there to talk about all things Dogu publishing and we we have people in line too. 
Yes, Adrian Tomini talking about shortcomings and the Randall Park adaptation that's coming to theaters on August 4th, as well as Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips talking about the That Texas Blood spinoff series, The Enfield Gang Massacre. The, the, the question I have is, will all those episodes get edited and published? And you know what? The nice thing is the listeners know already. They can look to the show notes and they can see links to all of the episodes that are already available, as well as the schedule of what's to come this week. So hopefully what you see down there <laughs> is the Paul Cornell episode scheduled for Thursday, the Adrian Tomini episode scheduled for Friday, the Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips episode scheduled for Saturday, and the Julie Sakai and Stan Sakai episode scheduled for Sunday. Oh, and the Daniel Warren Johnson episode has already happened and it's in the Patreon feed ready for your ears right now. This is going to be our 11th Comic-Con. We've been attending since 2011. And of course we didn't go during 2022 or 2021, but this is also going to be our first year as official press. Yes. Super excited about that. And it's the first year in which Lisa has a panel on Thursday at 4.30. I don't have a panel. Well, I'm you're on, on a, panel. a panel. It's Heidi McDonald's panel. Heidi McDonald, as you know, from the beat. And the theme of the panel is comics journalism, looking at panels beyond the page. So it's supposed to be about like other ways to do comics coverage that are not just like reviews like and essays. Like a blog or whatever. Exactly. Like Comic Book Couples Counseling, the world famous award-winning podcast. <laughs> That's right. So I am, I have a huge weight on my shoulders because <laughs> not only am I representing myself and Brad as Comic Book Couples Counseling, but I'm representing all comics podcasters. And I know uh, probably 98% of you are that. So <laughs> so if you have any specific points you'd like me to make as your representative <laughs> at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter and Instagram yeah, and, and Blue Sky. And so like they're also exploring, exploring comics journalism through like TikTok and YouTube and other social media feeds and just other ways of delivering comics journalism beyond the traditional you know blogger space website space. And not just like comics journalism places where you can go to create a platform to make other people listen to your your opinion about comics, but more about like creating a comics criticism, comics commentary community. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure I'll be taking notes. Of course, I will give you a big woo when your name is announced at the panel. <laughs> but I'm like, uh, this is something that I'm interested in yeah. building a community. I, I think that's like been one of the driving forces behind Comic Book Couples Counseling. And, you know, there's there's lots to learn here for us. And, and, and I hope other people as well. So the other people on the panel are uh, Jimmy Aquino from Comics News Insider, Brett Shanker from Graphic Policy, and Avery Kaplan, who's also on the beat, and Chris Arendt from Popverse. Yeah, a few friends there, and yeah. some new friends uh, to happen. That's really, really exciting. So if you're in San Diego on Thursday, we hope to see you at that panel, and we'll have buttons and stickers to give to you if you would like them. If you see us on the floor, please stop us. Uh, we, we want to chat. We want to do selfies. We want to create community we with you specifically. Community. Yeah. So that panel is on Thursday, 4.30, room 24 ABC. 
And if you're not at San Diego, well, that's what this podcast feed is. Like our plan here is to bring Comic-Con to you. And if you follow us on our various socials, and we have a lot of them now. <laughs> we're spread thin. Uh, we're spread pretty thin. But if you follow us and you track down the hashtag CBCC at SDCC, especially on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, you'll see all the posts, all the uh, 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 all the photographs that we are like scrambling to take while we're at the convention. We usually come back with several hundred photographs. Our first experiences of San Diego Comic-Con were vicarious, right? Like yes, we, we saw everybody else's photos and everybody else's write-ups and all that stuff. And we're like, we gotta go. So we want to <laughs> create that same experience for you. So for so if you can, one day you'll join us. Yeah, we're going to be FOMO masters. <laughs> <laughs> but we hope you like this FOMO. And while we're at San Diego Comic-Con, we're going to be doing lots of interviews. We've scheduled a ton. And we don't really want to spoil who they are because these things can always fall through. But I think it's safe to reveal, Lisa, we will have Robert Kirkman back on the podcast. Yes. He's there promoting the 20th anniversary of Invincible and the Walking Dead, but also the new Energon universe, which collides the Transformers and G.I. Joe brands. We're crazy excited about that. And we're crazy excited to connect with Robert Kirkman and Joshua Williamson and Daniel Warren Johnson talking about all those uh, crazy Hasbro plans they've got lined up over at Skybound. San Diego Comic-Con is truly a gift that keeps on giving, and we're passing all of that goodness right on to you. So when we get back from San Diego, that those Skybound interviews, plus all of the interviews with all of these unnamed super cool people, <laughs> will be collected, compounded, compressed into bite-sized probably super long episodes. <laughs> Multiple episodes for sure that over, the be several, over several weeks. Yeah. And it was really important for both of us to finish out our counseling session episodes with Mark and Eve before we left for Comic-Con. We didn't want to do a What About Bob, where we just leave them untherapized, <laughs> waiting while we go and have our vacation. Untherapized? Yeah. Is yeah. that a thing? I think so. Okay, I'm right. a, Since I am a fake expert, I do get to come up with fake expert words. Got it. So <laughs> this is our last counseling session with Mark and Eve. We've currently got them in the waiting room, so let's talk behind their backs for a minute before we drag them into session. I guess we should mention right here that if you suddenly joined our Mark and Eve conversations with this episode, episode, you should probably go back and listen to our previous four other episodes about Invincible, one with Robert Kirkman himself, helping us program the comics we covered during this series. Links again in the show notes. What a wonderful resource. We should also say that we're talking about the very end of this series, talking full spoilers. So if you've only just discovered this series via the television show, you may want to hold off or maybe you're not spoiler phobic and you can just steamroll ahead. The choice is yours to steamroll or not steamroll. It's your ass fault on the line. Okay. I'm really bringing the dad jokes today. You really are. I, I think they're semi-successful. <laughs> Robert Kirkman spent 15 years working on this book alongside artists Corey Walker and Ryan Otley. It's a hell of a thing to end a series like this one and satisfy every reader. Isn't that right, Lisa? I withhold my thoughts at this time. <laughs> Kirkman often mentioned in interviews that he created Invincible on the fly. There was no grand plan in the beginning. Invincible actually started 
started as a science dog pitch, but Image was like, uh, people don't like talking dogs. Not true. Not true. <laughs> uh, not true at all. But that character, Science Dog, eventually became the comic within the comic. Lately on our podcast, we've been talking about books like Minor Threats from Patton Oswalt, Jordan Bloom, and Scott Hepburn, as well as stuff like Justice Warriors from Matt Bors and Ben Clarkson, and we've been obsessing over the concept of satire. Invincible, like those books, gleefully pokes fun at the superhero genre, but it does so from a place of love, and we recognize that as readers. We're in on the joke, and we're in on the deep earnestness that beats at the center of that joke. We love these characters. Clearly, this is episode five with <laughs> Mark and Eve. While Kirkman was working on the Viltrumite war arc, he told Mashable he, quote, arbitrarily, end quote, started working toward an ending. It was merely an exercise. He told no one what he was doing. But the moment it stopped becoming a thought experiment was the moment he told Ryan Otley. Kirkman says in that interview, Otley didn't want to die having only drawn Invincible, so they got busy wrapping things up. However, as you can kind of tell from the comic's final moments, when Kirkman was writing the last issue, he came up with 50 more issues worth of stories. He creates all these possible story threads, but he doesn't really have any intention to return to them. For him, those threads are just there to let the reader know that the world is going on without them. These characters still exist, and they're doing stuff even if we don't have access to the specifics. I love that idea, even if some of the final story elements, Lisa, give me pause, and I know that they give you pause, but again, we'll get to it in the larger conversation. First, we gotta check back in with our Mark and Eve love expert, Lisa, one last time. Break out our professional, what's their deal? I cannot believe it, they grow up so quick. This is our <laughs> last session with Mark and Eve using our love expert, Dr. Mark Brackett, via his book, Permission to Feel, Unlocking the Power of Emotions to Help Our Kids, Ourselves, and Our Society Thrive. Dr. Brackett is a professor at the Yale Child Study Center and the founding director of the Yale Center of Emotional Intelligence. He is also the lead developer of RULER, an evidence-based systematic curriculum for societal and emotional learning for grades pre-K through 12th. His aim is to start an emotions revolution where all people have permission to feel their feelings even Viltramites. <laughs> Last session, we kind of had to come to grips that Dr. Brackett doesn't have right. all the answers when it comes to mastering our emotions. As human beings, we're still gonna feel overwhelmed with emotion sometimes, but I still feel like our couple is coming away with some new perspectives and invaluable tools when it comes to using our emotions as our guide, our teachers, and even one of our superpowers. First, we have our mood meter, our four quadrant chart of emotions that helps us identify our emotions with specificity on a range from unpleasant to pleasant, as well as low energy to high energy. And as we've seen throughout our Invincible episodes, it's real easy to place these characters thanks to Ryan Otley and Corey Walker. Yeah. I personally find the mood beater super handy dandy when it comes to identifying others' emotions, going like, okay, they seem pretty keyed up and it seems pretty unpleasant. Right. I think that they are enraged. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think also thinking about your own emotions, going like, ooh, this is feeling kind of unpleasant and also like low energy. I might be feeling a little sad right now or right, whatever. Right. You don't need a mirror in front of you. You can, you know what you look like. Right, <laughs> right? And, and, and you know that 
the act of putting it on a chart to me feels so satisfying. <laughs> That's very Lisa of you. <laughs> we also have our ruler skills that build our emotional intelligence. So that is recognizing emotion, understanding what triggered the emotion, labeling the emotion with specificity, perhaps using our mood meter, expressing our emotion, and also regulating our emotion meaning like bringing our emotion down to size so that it actually fits the situation that we're in. We also have really embraced the concept of meta emotions, the emotions that we have about our emotions that when layered over a situation can make you feel really complicated. So that might be, we feel guilty for feeling sad or, or we might feel ashamed for being angry and so on. Or we, you might just be mad at feeling mad and you're getting madder and madder and madder, which is something that I recently experienced this week. And I was like, I this is a meta emotion moment. I get it. I get it. I know where I fall on the mood meter. Now, what do I do? How do I regulate? <laughs> as best you can. That's how you <laughs> regulate. I think the last thing we need to touch on is how Mark and Eve can proactively use what they've learned from Permission to Feel to raise Tara differently and not simply recreate the culture of emotions they had in their home. I think we first have to start by not judging Eve and Mark's parents for the toxic emotion culture they created. Yeah, as we've discussed over this entire series, it's really complicated for their parents. Yeah, and you know what? You can't judge people against what they don't know. For Earthlings like Eve's parents and like like Debbie, emotional intelligence wasn't even broadly embraced as a concept until the 90s. And emotions were still very much seen as like an evolutionary leftover from fight or flight. Like tigers aren't trying to eat us in the suburbs. <laughs> right. So what are all of these emotions about anyway? Then when it comes to Mark's upbringing, Nolan had just survived a mass extinction event of the Viltrumites. Right. So Nolan was raising Mark with this sense of scarcity, right. wanting to uphold his mission of restoring his people, that's a lot of pressure on him and then in turn on Mark. Yeah, the challenge is doing that thing we've always been told since we were children to live in someone else's shoes before you judge them. It's very difficult to go into Nolan's head but if you try, you can start to understand why he did what he did. That doesn't make it right or wrong, but it gives you better access to understanding. And I think that's essential to the human experience. And I think something that Mark, we see him practice again and again throughout Invincible. Many of us think that we're maturing in a way that is reactionary to our parents. Even when we love our parents, we differentiate ourselves by saying, like, I'm not going to repeat this or yeah. this aspect of my upbringing. But then we get into, like, I find this true for myself. I'm like, I'm in my late thirts. I'm going into <laughs> my early forts. And I realize, like, damn, I have become my mother after all. <laughs> like, every conversation with my mom is like, hey, me too. I also feel that. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's true. I've seen it. To cut Nolan even more slack. Tough love makes a compelling argument. It is a cruel world out there, and not everyone is going to give us loving space to express our emotions. There is a heavy burden on parents to prepare their kids for real life. But current scientific research shows that children do best with demonstrative love and caring. The best possible thing for Tara is that they don't just teach Tara her ruler skills, but they also practice those skills for themselves. When it comes to creating an emotions revolution in the home or in the workplace, or even when you like say become an emperor of an entire race <laughs> of intergalactic persons, 
Dr. Brackett gives us one last tool, a charter. Literally a written document that codifies how individuals under the umbrella of the charter wish to feel. This charter is made up of three questions. One, how do we wanna feel as a family workplace, blah, blah, blah. Two, what can we do to experience these feelings as often as possible? And three, what can we do when we are not living by the charter? These questions, of course, have to be answered with the permission to feel and ruler in mind. So say like the answer to number three can't be, you know, if you are not living by the charter, you will be taken to the back and <laughs> flogged or whatever. I personally don't know how I feel about creating a charter to enforce people feeling their feelings. Yeah. I mean, I believe in a statement of principles, but I don't know if in like an emotionally tense situation, I would want someone to be whipping out a contract yeah, going like- here's like, the Magna Carta. <laughs> <laughs> we agreed we would feel great. Maybe in a more professional situation, like, you know, like in a business meeting, we're sure. not going to like openly shame each other for sure. their terrible ideas. I like how the Magna Carta was my go-to <laughs> contract. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Me. I love them. I mean, a lot has happened since we last had Mark and Eve on our counseling couch. We're going to get to observe Mark and Eve in various situations where they can practice permission to feel as partners, as parents, as coworkers, even as dictators. So I think that we're going to have a lot to discuss. Since this is our last time with Mark and Eve on our counseling couch, I'd like to keep front of mind how far Mark and Eve have come with their relationship to, with their own emotions and how they embody what they've learned about their emotions when they're now like super influential people. I'd also like to keep practicing referring back to those tools, like keep our mood meters out, keep referencing our ruler skills because we wanna create these good emotionally intelligent habits for a lifetime. I think it's fascinating to consider how much they have grown since we've been covering them, which is really at the late stages of their relationship, or at least at the late stages of Invincible, you know, starting with Modern Family. Skybound recently republished the first arc of Invincible in this really nifty uh, digest size. We love paperback. a digest size. Love a digest size. And going back to Adam, Eve, and Invincible, in that arc I mean they are they're nothing like where the, where this series leaves them off and it does remind us of and I think we've talked about this in our Mark and Eve counseling sessions but when you look back at Brad and Lisa during the dating days they, they feel like aliens right mm. so when you look at volume one of Invincible they feel like aliens you can tell that Robert Kirkman and Corey Walker are flying by the seat of their pants as they're building this universe and you're going like I don't even think they necessarily knew that Adam Eve and Mark would be a thing in that first arc maybe right. they did but maybe not right and then you look at where they are now and their growth is directly tied to them becoming parents, mm -hmm. them having children. And as child-free people, like we have we not have experienced that. that. We yeah. don't have that, like, uh, that, that uh, what do you call it, that life event. And we actually have a conversation coming up in the feed during San Diego Comic-Con, our conversation with Adrian Tomini talking about shortcomings. And in that conversation, he keeps returning back to the fact that he's now a dad and like he didn't grow as a person until he became a dad. And I'm 
sure that is the case and we see it invincible that is obviously the case but if those children never happened would they never have grown would their relationship have not solidified are we doomed lisa not to have a strong relationship because we don't have kids we'll never know these are the things that i am now worrying about <laughs> uh, oh no don't worry about that because i refuse still okay well that's what's to make a person that's that's uh, uh, in my mind it's infected my mind at the moment and so the oh, listeners no. should be aware of that as we're discussing Mark and Eve in our counseling session. But before we bring them out of the waiting room and onto the couch, we need to do some words of affirmation. Brad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you have baby fever? No. Affirmations. Should we explain for our first time listeners what the words of affirmation are, Lisa? The words of affirmation are our way of giving back to our new and upgrading Patreon subscribers. We have a lot this week. People are excited about Danny Warren Johnson talking the nom number nine in our Patreon feed this week. We curate and use these affirmations for ourselves, and we're more than happy to pass them on to you. These particular affirmations <laughs> are more like the, like, they're more like fortunes right. that come from bazooka gum packages. Yeah, bazooka Joe. We bought a bunch the other day just to see if the little comic strips were still in there. They totally are. And I forgot that these little fortunes are in there and they do operate as words of affirmation, mostly. Kind of, yeah, mostly, mostly. I, I, I think this is a fun way to tackle words of affirmation. I do think there are some truths in these fortunes, but I also think that they're really weird. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see if they work out for these people. So let's start by bringing the energy down a little bit. Okay. Taking a deep, nourishing breath. And let us begin. Dave Curtis. Your restless will makes you a celebrated traveler. John Handel. You are anxious to achieve something very important. You will succeed. Jeff Shear. You'll soon get good news on the phone. Joseph Siraki. You will become rich and famous, but only if you believe you can. Tyler Grudy. A person is measured by the promises they make. Keep your word. Mythalore. Stop and smell the roses today. Snicked and Thwips. That person you thought your enemy will do something nice. Court Welch. The only way out is through. Yeah. yeah. I really hope that Joseph Siraki wants to be rich and famous. <laughs> I, you know... <laughs> Bazooka but you Joe, know, <laughs> really strange fortunes. Like some of them are fortunes. I okay, do, you're going to get a phone call. <laughs> I do think that a lot of them are based in anxiousness. Uh, like, I think the guy writing those fortunes goes like, I don't know how long I'm going to be doing this. I'm anxious. 
I haven't reached the level of fame I wanted. So I, I really hope our new patrons appreciate their Bazooka Joe affirmations. I, I think it's fun. I do, but again, I do think there's stuff in there that I really like. You know, like your restless will makes you a celebrated traveler. So that thing that we sometimes look at as a negative is actually a positive if you steer it the right way. And then at the end there with Court Welch and the only way out is through, like, you know, that is is a cliche but it's a cliche for a reason like i really do think like just keep swimming just keep swimming you know and and you'll make it persistence is the key and the one for snicked and thwips the person you thought your enemy will do something nice actually applies to yes, to invincible the end of all things yes that's right yes yes so, so like to me like Something can be an affirmation if you make it so. So maybe if Joseph Siraki doesn't want to be like rich and famous in like a like a influencer sense, maybe rich just means feeling fulfilled and famous means being really really loved by the people who you want to love you. I don't know we're going to if we're going to make Bazooka Joe our go-to affirmations, but it was fun for a week and yeah, and yeah so there there we go. There it's we go. It's a good practice. Now let's get into the comic, Lisa. We are discussing Invincible Issues 133 through 144, the last two trade paperbacks of Invincible. These issues were published by Image Comics through the Skybound Entertainment imprint between February 2017 and February 2018. The comic was written by Robert Kirkman, penciled by Ryan Otley and Corey Walker, inked by Otley and Walker, plus Dexter Vines and Mark Morales, colored by Nathan Fairbairn, and lettered by Russ Wooten. Here's the basic plot synopsis taken off of the back of the first trade paperback. The end of all things, the final Invincible story begins. The mega story will touch every corner of the Invincible universe, and when it's over, all capital letters here, Mark Grayson's story is over. Every single story for the past 13 years has been leading up to this. So Lisa, that's a very basic plot synopsis, but there's nothing basic about the end of all things, especially when we are trying to cram two trade paperbacks into one counseling session. But I have faith. I think if we just concentrate on what's actually going on with Mark and Eve, we can get through all these comics. That feels passive aggressive. Are you saying that <laughs> I don't stay on target during these episodes? Uh, you, you know, you know, the, the, uh, no, no I'm, I plead the fifth. I plead <laughs> the fifth. I'm not answering that question, judge. And honestly, like maybe it is actually not a lot of comics because a lot of this is action and, and action is pretty breezy. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of emotion going on during the action. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I either. think we should also uh, talk about what Tara's going through because Tara is part of their family unit. And right. I think that we can see how their relationship to their emotions is like filtering down through their parenting. We are not going to ignore Tara. We're not going to ignore Marky. That's not what I'm saying. We're just going to keep it tight and with that in mind, let's jump right into this first issue of The End of All Things. We open up immediately, or at least almost immediately after the last trade paperback, Full House, and Oliver is dead. Yeah, we're at his funeral. And it is enormous. It looks like the entire coalition of planets showed up. And, like, I forget... Their family is a royal family. Yes. Nolan is an emperor, 
And they are under a tremendous amount of scrutiny. And, and, and celebrity. I mean, they are celebrities. So when Oliver dies, this is like a state funeral. Everyone shows up for it. And Mark is still processing his brother's death. And he is extremely angry at Alan because he feels that Alan was the one who persuaded Oliver to do the whole like double agent thing. And so when Alan comes up to Mark and says, I'm so sorry, like I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. Mark just explodes into violence right in front of everyone, including Tara. And Tara responds like, is that just going to how is that just going to be how it is now? People are just going to be fighting all of the time. She's still recovering from the trauma of seeing her beloved uncle torn in twain. This is not like the moment where Adam Eve socked out her lover. You know, that that sequence where we learned that Adam Eve had a partner when Mark was back in reboot land. Mm -hmm. like, and, and she like knocks him out at the hospital. This is not that. They go up into the sky and have a superhero battle and then Eve has to go bust it up. But once she's up there and she uses her superpower to create that big hot pig bubblegum bubble and burst them apart it like uncorks her anger yeah. and her resentment so alan goes back down and then they have their enormous super powered argument and she talks about how like by starting this super visible fight and violent fight during the funeral, we find out that she's been building a case in the back of her head about Mark's recklessness. She says, you decided to do something stupid without taking so much as a second to think about the consequences. That's what you do, right? Like, so you just go around following your emotions and then having your big emotion and then leave everybody else to deal with the fallout. When Mark and Alan flew up into the air, what happened between Debbie, Nolan, and Eve was like almost routine. Like, oh, you know, there goes Mark again, starting a fight. Who's going to watch Tara? Sh Nolan is like, should I go up there? And, and both Debbie and Eve are like, no, you will make it worse. Like, <laughs> I'll go up there. I don't think that Eve is entirely right. I don't think that Mark is a reckless person, but I think that he is an individual who kind of stuffs his emotions and stuffs his emotions. Until he has a big emotion. And when he has a big emotion, it kind of gives him the excuse to do whatever. Like his outburst is seen as a reaction, like a natural reaction. But it's it's actually kind of a tired thing that he's been doing since this series has begun. And I think that Eve is exhausted from all of the regulating that she has to do. While Mark is having his big feeling, it's up to her to keep, you know, the family in order and keep Tara at bay and, and all of that stuff. So I think that when she finally unleashes on him, she's not doing it to hurt him. Or she's not doing it um, because she doesn't love him anymore. She's doing it to kind of blow off all of this resentment that she yeah, has. I mean, you know, she, she unleashes her rage upon Mark the way that Mark unleashed his rage upon Alan. And it 
climaxes with her saying, you're ruining everything and I hate you for it, Mark. Mm -hmm. Like, I hate you for it. When I read that panel the first time, I went, oh, no. Right. This is... This is a turning point. This could shatter everything this moment. But that then leads to, I hate how you screwed up our lives. How, no, I hate how screwed up our lives are. I hate how much I love you. It hurts so bad. And her last words to him in that moment are, I loved Oliver too. Mm -hmm. And Mark has to reckon with that. And he, all he can say is, I, I, I know. Right. I think sometimes you need to see how much your actions are hurting the other person to then regulate and go like, I don't want to have my emotions so much that it makes her be repulsed by me, hate me, resent me, all of that but stuff. But we also have to recognize that this outburst is the direct result of grief. Mm. You know, yeah. Oliver is gone. And that loss is going to send shockwaves through the family. I also think that Eve is up, still upset for Mark disappearing, yeah. even though he, like, she wasn't there. She didn't see the kind of mistake any person would make. We've talked about this before in these Mark and Eve sessions, but the way that Invincible works is characters start to have some relationship growth. They start to see each other. They start communicating. And then some giant outer force makes its presence known and they can't deal with the smaller familial issues because they have to save the universe. And that is also what happens right here in the end of all things. I don't want to jump ahead too far, but in, in uh, our lives, if we had a conversation like this, or if we had an experience like reboot where we lost five years of our relationship, that would be a traumatic thing that would take a, you know, a long time to process. And unfortunately, Mark and Eve rarely, if ever, get that chance to process. Mm. Once Mark and Eve have leveled out and they have expressed the anguish that they've been in, they find a nice ledge to sit on and have a little heart to heart. And, and Mark says, I'm going to have to go kill Throg. It's not going to be a heroic thing. Like I'm not going to I'm not going to do the right thing. I'm done being a hero. He said that before. He said that in full house. It was a big moment. It's over. He's not a hero. Right. I'm not thinking of myself as a mentor or as this keeper of the good. I just I need to have this guy stop torturing my family and I'm just going to kill him. And she says, "Well, you realize I have to kill him too, right? I'm not going to let you just go and do this on your own because doing this thing is going to be part of their family's healing, one. And she is also an individual who has to do. Like, she has to be involved to make make her feel like she is helping. Yeah, she doesn't sit by, right? She's not on the, the sidelines in any way. I do also think that it's important to think consider how this moment reflects it reflects how big emotions are temporary so when mark has a flare-up and he lashes out adam eve has a flare-up she lashes out big emotion and in that moment it feels catastrophic that's when the words like i hate you come out mm -hmm. but it is temporary and if you can just get beyond that big emotion if you can survive the big emotion and level out 
you know, cooler heads will prevail. Now, is that's what is that what is happening when they decide to like we have to kill Throg? Uh, you know, I, Th- Throg is a threat that needs to be dealt with, mm-hmm. and you know, in the case of Invincible, it seems like only Mark and Eve are going to be able to do that, and Alan knows that also. I think also their relationship is in the place where no matter how big the emotion between them, it will never come to the conclusion of we shouldn't be together. It's never like our relationship is not working. It's always like these circumstances that we've put ourselves in or these circumstances that have happened upon us are driving us crazy. But it's never like you are making me unhappy. You are the problem. I need to excise you out of my life. Yeah, we've reached a point in their relationship where they are confident in their everlasting uh, coupling. And, you know, the end of all things, parts one and two, I would say, proves that. Right. And and so they decide that before they go off and kill Throg, they should do something that they have, they've been kicking this can down the road long enough. They're finally going to have a ceremony and get married. Yeah, it's an excellent page turn. You go from uh, Mark going, oh, to... Big panel that takes up most of the page. It's uh, dialogue free. It's the, you know, you may now kiss the bride moment. Uh, Mark is dipping Eve. But my favorite element of this entire panel is in the foreground, Tara rushing toward camera, looking just so happy, totally gleeful. The, the, the composition, even though it's not on the right side of the page, it, it reminds me a little bit like the the cover of Action Comics number one, mm. where you have that panicked bystander running away from Superman as he lifts the car. Uh, I, I don't know if that's an actual homage from Ryan Otley, but that's what I think, except instead of a panicked expression, it's just pure happiness on Tara's face. I just love it so much. It's very sweet. And I like. I think it's so special to be able to be... The child at your own parents' wedding. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Because you've seen, you know, photos of your parents on their wedding day, Mm -hmm. and it always feels like, that's weird. Mm. It's weird. It's neat, but it's weird. Well, my parents, it was really weird because they got married in the 70s. So did your parents. Yes, 1975. Wild. Wild time for fashion. I do how, like, at the bottom of that page... Eve takes the time to recognize Haluma's emotions because Haluma has just lost Oliver and they were married. They had this partnership and she finds herself alone with twins. So Eve just says like, you know, I know that the timing of this wedding doesn't seem like really cognizant of- It's not kind to you. Haluma says, like, I understand, and I needed something like this. I needed to see that there's still joy in the world. But we do find out later that Haluma has been kind of uh, taking it on the chin and letting all of the ceremony go past, but she is also processing her own trauma. And she's she's so scared. She's just scared. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's interesting when I'm reading this sequence that I have to remember during the reboot time when Mark was away, Haluma and Eve became true friends. The the most amount of time we've seen with Eve and Haluma in like modern family, they were just, you know, they were so antagonistic towards each other. And I forget that growth had happened because I wasn't there for it. I wonder, I would love to get into how Eve has learned to recognize 
Haluma's emotions, like how she, like, because Haluma is like this little, like, like crustacean looking it's, individual. It's hard to do the mood meter with Haluma. But I, I think that um, Haluma wants to be read. She's still a person. She still wants her emotions recognized and processed and all of this stuff. And, and I'm sure that as they get closer, they've, of course, learned to understand each other better. But also, like, Haluma is masking. People keep telling her, even at the funeral, people keep telling her, oh, I'm so sorry. And she she has been taking it kind of stoically. And I think that she pays for that a little bit later. Yeah. They leave the chapel, Mark and Eve, uh, and they leave their daughter in the hands of Debbie and Nolan. And they go off, and I, I'm, I'm sure they have a wonderful evening together. <laughs> uh, but but what you see is them taking off their wedding rings and boxing them up because they are about to go into battle. And Mark asks Eve, like, are you ready to go kill Throg for killing Oliver? And Eve's response is absolutely, you said it best, quote, being a hero is bullshit. And... You know, on the reread of this, Lisa, I really struggled with the cynicism that kind of infects Mark's life ever since Robot took over Earth. Mm -hmm. Ever since Robot made Earth a paradise through dictatorship and Mark kind of just accepted that and he hated it. And it, it was driving him crazy. And so he bailed on Earth and he, you know, he, he had his adventures in space and, and, you know, horrible things have happened. And he says, you know, I'm not a hero anymore. We're going to go kill this guy because we just have to kill this guy. And if I was in this situation and this was my reality, I, I don't think that I would reject those choices. But I'm still a comic book superhero reader. Mm. And it is an ugliness that what's the word I'm looking for? It is an ugliness that infects Mark's heart mm -hmm. and Adam Eve's heart. And I don't think they ever shake it all the way to the very end of the end of all things. When they are saying being a hero is bullshit, they're talking about a few like specific things like martyring your own happiness at every occasion. Right. Um, Putting the greatest good before the good of your family, before the good of yourself, whatever, and and um, and always making the sacrifice play is like those things to them are bullshit, and they're kind of summing it together. Like I and I'm kind of with them, where I yeah, I agree that you should I'm, be able yes. to take care of yourself, <laughs> take care of your family. Yes, yes. And, and and you know if. If your life was on the line and there was a, a throg in our lives coming to kill you and our family, like I could see the choice of, well, we got to go take care of throg, right? And, you know, but, but seeing it in this, like in a comic book superhero context, it's, it's a type of postmodernism. Mm. You know, it's like a, a post Dark Knight Returns part, post year one, that at, at this point in time in my life, I'm, I'm rejecting a little bit in my comics. Right, right. You know, I, you know so there, from, it's complicated. I feel I, weird about it. I like how it um, counters 
who Throg is specifically and who Rex is specifically. Yes. Because to the Viltrumites, Throg is a hero. Because right. he's working, he's operating in the best interest of the Viltrumites. Rex sees himself as a hero because he has created in his own way world peace. So they like Rex in particular is thinking of heroism from strictly a, a math perspective. Like the right thing to do is spare the most lives even if it means impeding everybody's autonomy and freedom. It's the Vulcan thing of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Right. 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 And and so like I I think that Mark is finding like at this point in the story Mark is finding his way to his own brand of heroism through just being binary. Like, I'm not Throg, and I'm not Nolan, I'm not my dad, and I'm not, um, and I'm not Rex. The loss of Oliver underscores also how close he is to losing Tara and Eve right. and Nolan and Debbie and, and his family. Like his family right now is very fragile and he sees that in a way he hasn't seen it before. At the end of that first issue, we also learn that Alan had a greater hand in Oliver's death than we thought. He did alert Throg to Oliver and Mark's presence, effectively killing Oliver, and he is burdened with that knowledge, with that action, and he wants to seek out Mark and gain some kind of forgiveness, but you you can't get forgiveness for something like that, and when he goes to Mark and Eve and he unburdens himself, uh, it's, it's really over for Mark and Alan. Their principles are just so much at odds that they can no longer really be friends anymore. They can continue to respect each other, but Mark is past being able to forgive Alan because Alan kind of isn't actually sorry. I think Alan still thinks he did the I, right thing. I agree. And Mark doesn't forgive Alan but he does back away from his anger toward Alan. And I also think the moment he kind of understands Alan's point of view is another moment in that like heroism is BS. Right. And his step towards his final actions in the end of all things. Yeah. He, he says like, well, um, before that, sorry. No, before no, no, no. that, there is partnership, big emotion, small emotion. We see Mark getting really mad and he is beginning to snare at Alan. But then it is Eve who lashes out and she uses her her powers to bind him to the floor. And in seeing Eve's reaction, mm, it evens out Mark. Mm, and so point, Mark point. kind of removes himself from the situation. He kind of regulates to counterbalance Eve. And in that co-regulation, he, he comes to this realization that Alan did what he could never do. Alan was being a hero in that moment. And, and the quote is this, you did what I can't. You put the lives of the people before your loved ones. I think that's how it's supposed to be, he says. So um, at the end of that conversation, Alan goes like, I didn't just come over here to um, get your forgiveness, which was unsuccessful, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I also need you to go talk to your dad, because if we're going to go up against Viltrum and 
kill Throg, we're going to need his help. Yeah, and Nolan just straight up says no. Nolan doesn't straight up say no. Well, initially, like, when you get that page turned, Nolan's like, no, not going to do that. He doesn't want to do that because he has the Viltrumites living on Earth in secret. They've started families. They've already sacrificed so much moving on to this alien planet, and he doesn't want to jeopardize the mission that they have on Earth of rebuilding the Viltrumites as a free people. And then... Marco's like, Throg killed your son. And if you actually care about Viltrumites, Throg is imprisoning all of these Viltrumites in his army, right? He's going out there breeding people just so that he can have something between him and his enemies to get mowed down first. And what Nolan decides to do... I think is awesome. I think it's so influenced and it shows so much how being on earth and being Mark's dad has changed him. He says Mm. like, I can't order the Viltrumites to do anything. I think that would be wrong of me (laughs) as an emperor. So instead I'm going to give them the choice. Yeah. Yeah. Would they choose to protect earth and defeat Throg? And that's what happens. Yeah, that it's yeah, that is not the Nolan we once knew back in Invincible Twelve or whatever. And Mark doesn't agree with what he did, by the way. He's like, uh, you know, like we'll see what happens. And he calls Nolan's decision a step in the right direction. And Mark just leaves him there. He leaves him there to suit up. You know, Eve and him, it's time to go into battle. They need to wear the coalition uniform with the little cape. And Eve puts it on. She, you know, she she does her best effort. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like it. So she does a little, like, you know, bewitched moment. She uses her powers and presto bingo. They're back in their old uniforms. And they look great. But I do love how Tara reacts to her parents being in these spandex duds. She thinks they look ridiculous, which, of course, they do. But also we've known them in these uniforms like Mark and Eve have, you know, experienced life in these uniforms. They think it's really rad. We think it's really rad. And Tara cuts them and us down to size and just goes like, no, 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 no. This it's because is- Tara is not an earthling. Like she doesn't know the what a superhero in a yeah. superhero suit really means. I do wonder like what. Eve's impetus is to put them back in their old costumes. I wonder if it's like a type of nostalgia where she wants yeah. to return to a simpler time in their relationship. I think she also knows that this would be a step in bonding them mm. in this action. Right? Yeah, yeah. And also kind of um, differentiating them from other members of the coalition. Sure. They're going like, oh, we're not like these guys. We're special, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) There's also a super cute moment, though, after Eve and Tara talk about their costumes, where Tara does concede that Eve's cape is cute, and Eve goes like, I win! Like, that little panel of, like, this is a parental victory with my child. Uh, It's just one of many cute moments that peppers Invincible and and keeps you going through all the hard times. Tara knows that once her parents leave, they're going to be in danger. They're going to be fighting the dude that killed her uncle. So they try to have, like, 
one more fun family day, which I love so much, it's but really it's good. also so heartbreaking. Well, I mean, you know, it starts off so fun. It's 12 panels uh, that climaxes with one long horizontal panel. But as you work your way through the fun day, uh, the sadness seeps in. Tara starts to realize that the day is ending. And I think about our nibblings when we go over for like a family event. There's one nibbling in particular that we have. Whenever it starts to get a little close to the time the day is about to be over, like when it's when it's time for them to go home, uh, they uh, they they burst into tears. Yeah, they start acting out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you can see that behavior right here in those bottom four panels of those twelve panels. I was also so that kid. I like at it. the end of a fun time, I was always <laughs> crying. <laughs> uh, happy day, sad day. Lisa always crying. Um, but uh, that long panel across the bottom, like it's Mark and Eve kind of preparing Debbie for a big time parenting moment. They say like, we haven't had the opportunity to really help Tara process her trauma. And we've been kind of waiting for her to bring it up on her own when she was ready. And we just wanna give you a heads up. That moment might happen when we are not here. Debbie replies by saying like, I've got it handled. Tara is strong. There's nothing you really need to, to worry about. She's going to be fine. We eventually get to see Tara, like we get to see Tara receive some of the parenting and some of the programming that Mark got as a child. Yeah, and that occurs the very next issue. While Mark and the team are engaging with the enemy, like. Alan has this whole strategy that he wants to execute, but Mark says, no, I have a better idea. And basically what Mark's idea is to engage with Throg's forces immediately and then drag them, trick them back to Earth because he knows that the Viltramites are on Earth and they're a powerful army. So we can now get, you know, Rex's drones. You can get the the heroes of earth the viltramites on earth and th that's that's going to be a heck of a force now now we have a fighting chance and while all that is going on though that's where you have that scene where debbie and tara come to an understanding debbie is trying to like have a nice day with her granddaughter and is like oh man it's so great to be back on telescria you know your grandfather and i used to live here i'm excited i'm happy to be here and tara replies by saying like I'm scared. I, I My daddy just got home and, I, and I'm worried I'm going to forget about him again. Debbie replies by saying, oh, honey, this is not like what happened before. Like, he's not going to disappear for five years. He's just fighting bad guys. And Tara is like, yeah, but couldn't they get hurt? Debbie replies by saying, Tara, you are too strong for this. You are your parents' daughter. They made you strong. Do not look for something to be scared of. So Tara is having all of this anxiety and fear and she's trying to express it. And Debbie kind of puts her down for it. She says like, you know, your mom and your dad, they don't get scared. They don't get worried. Do you know why? Because they're strong, right? To have an emotion is a weakness. So we see Tara kind of like, you know, holding her breath and just like tensing all of her muscles. Debbie's like, what What are you doing? And she's like, I'm being strong, <laughs> right? And so we get to watch Tara process, like what exactly does my grandmother want me to do? 
So the other important thing that happens in this issue that has nothing to do with Mark and Eve really, although it has everything to do with Mark and Eve, is that Ursal, one of the many children of Throg, is finally seeing what a monster her father is and how her father's actions are leading to the genocide of his children and her brothers and sisters. And she punches a wall out of frustration. And this is a huge turning point in the war. And it really reveals how ignorant Throg is of his people's needs. And when he sees Mark show up at his doorstep with his army, he's excited. This is exactly what he wanted. This is his chance to end it. But he's already started his own end through his daughter. And chapter four is actually a really grotesque issue. We've seen so many battles over the course of Invincible, but nothing quite like this, where Throg unleashes his child army upon Mark's army. And there's that two-page splash where Throg's in the middle and he's got his hands out. And what's he screaming? He's screaming, um, Bring me the skulls of these traitors! Right, and, and like, like that two-page splash where you see all his children, his ch child soldiers, just rushing toward camera, that's that's basically his sperm that yeah. he is unloading. It is, it is this, I mean, it's not sexual, but it is sexual. It's right. so aggressive and he's so, like, and, and, like and, and here's the thing, when these children of Throg clash into Mark's armies, they're brittle and they won't stop attacking and, they, they, they're literally killing themselves to take down Mark's army. They're headbutting head -butting until their skulls are exploding. They're punching until their fists explode. And it is so revolting. And Ursal, she cannot take it anymore. And Ursal's going to have to do something to save her her, her family. She just can't stand the hypocrisy. Like he's constantly going like, I really care about you. I care about your brothers and sisters. It's those other people. They're the traitors. And Ursal is watching them, the other side, the traitors take care of each other. And so she's seeing the earthling example of like, this is what it is like to actually love and care about someone. And what we finally learn, which I think we all suspected, mm -hmm. is that Throg actually does not care about the Viltrum Empire at all. Yeah, he, you no. know, he just wants to be on top. Right, right. At, at any like at any cost because he's he's found this way to make really easy, cheap, quick kids. Yeah, cannon fodder. Yeah. For Throg, this really is, this this war really is just like masturbation. Like he's not doing it for anyone other than his like own satisfaction. And we're watching his seed And he's spill. spilling his yeah. seed everywhere. It yeah. is absolutely worthless. Not that, not that, I mean, your own satisfaction is very important uh, as not well. Not when it hurts other people. Don't <laughs> masturbate <laughs> to the destruction else. of the planet. Yeah, that's really rude. <laughs> like, uh, like, don't do it for the destruction of a planet. Don't do it on a train. Okay, okay. <laughs> now, while all that is happening, back on Telescria, we get to see Debbie and Tara and Haluma have a big moment. It starts as just like a moment of small talk. Haluma is talking about enrolling the twins into preschool. And isn't it ridiculous that you have to do it so early? But then suddenly there's this thump 
And they both get up with a start to see what the commotion is inside the house. And it turns Because a thump out- could be something pretty catastrophic in the world of Invincible. Right. But thumps happen. Like, when you are, like, watching kids, kids fall down. It's just like, they're, you know, gravity's really strong. Kids are falling over. It's just part of childhood. Especially for Tara, who has, has been practicing her flying, and she ran straight into the ceiling. Debbie starts yelling at her and saying, hey, you can't be flying in the house. I told you not to be flying. It's too dangerous. You don't know how to do it. And Tara starts talking back and is like, these babies are so boring. And when I was a baby, I must have been boring too. You must have hated me. But now I'm practicing flying because I'm going to be strong like my parents. And Debbie notices that Haluma is sobbing. She asks Debbie to take the kids and Haluma starts going like, Oliver made me feel safe and Throg is out there and the Viltrumites are out there and and now I have no one to give me that that comfort, give me that safety. And this is Haluma finally coming out of her stoic stupor. But then seeing Haluma cry triggers Tara and she says like, you know, Uncle Oliver, he was just trying to save me. And then the bad people killed him and it was my fault and and I was scared and it was because I was too weak and and I'm responsible for this whole mess. And so like, for me, I think this is Debbie seeing her parenting style fly back in her face in real time. And I think that she finds it really scary and sad. Well, if we jump to the next issue at the midway point, Debbie and Tara have another conversation on the balcony of their apartment. And Debbie asks Tara, you know, like, what's the matter, Peanut? And Tara says that she just wants to fly. And I think the Debbie from the last scene, prior to Haluma, you know, blowing up, uh, she would have, you know, explained why it's not safe to go flying. But now she feels comfortable. Like, okay, let's... Let's relax the reins a little bit. Okay, why don't you fly a little bit? And then, of course, turn the page, and Tara has taken off into the sky, and Debbie is hanging on for dear life, and Tara does not know how to turn around, does not know how to control her flight pattern at all. But it's so necessary, right? Like, we have to allow children to test their limits. Now, hopefully, they come down safely. We'll see. But it does represent a growth moment for Debbie. Yeah. Now, this issue actually begins with us checking in on the Viltrumites who are living in secret on Earth. And they get a phone call, for lack of a better word, from Nolan saying, like, hey, guess what? Throg's coming. And I know you're all doing your own thing, but you need to tool up and join us in space. If you'd like. (laughs) If you'd like, because war is here. And they... I mean, like, you know, let's just skip to it. They they agree. They they join Mark's army and they hide out behind the sun and they're waiting for Throg to appear. Now, before Throg appears, we get a very significant conversation between Mark and his dad about Anissa. Yeah, a conversation that's a long time coming. It starts with Nolan telling Mark, like, I'm still not super comfortable with the way that you forced my hands, getting the Viltrumites on Earth entangled in this war. Fair. 
And Mark says, like, well, as long as the plan works out, it really is for the best. I'm just really chuffed that I came up with a plan that's working. And Nolan is like, well, you know what? There's still going to be consequences, even to a good plan. And Mark goes, like, I'm just happy that we have Viltrumites, this race of people who have thrived on not caring and being strong and, and you know, severing their emotions. We have them on Earth caring for their families. And Nolan goes like, well, that's not really a new thing. Implying like, when we were on Earth, I cared that's for you. That's what I was doing. And Mark is like, but it just happens so quickly. Like, just spending a little time on Earth has turned all of these Viltrumite soldiers into like family men and women. Nolan goes like, it really is remarkable. Like the Viltrumites are now so different. And it's Mark who says like, like Anissa, like Anissa is different. And Nolan finally goes like, what really, what really happened between you two? Did she, like Nolan figures it out on his own. Did she force herself on you? Oh my God, Mark, I'm so sorry. And Mark's like, well, you would kill her. If you found out that she raped me, you would kill her. And he goes like, it's really like, it's hard for me because I understand where you're coming from as an earthling, what that means. But to the Viltrumites, that was just kind of what we did. We chose the strongest partner for like mathematical reasons. And we would conquer them. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that was just kind of the way that it's done. But like, I'll just have you know, the Anissa that hurt you, she's not that person anymore. And we've actually seen it earlier in this issue. We see Anissa with her partner and her children, and she loves them. And, and she's really ashamed of the act that created Marky. I mean, what's going on with Anissa is exactly what went on with Nolan, mm -hmm. right? You know, so it it's... Like everything in, in Invincible, it, it, it takes a lot to process and it is often uncomfortable. And I don't know if I'm ever, you know, if, if that uncomfortableness is ever resolved. Yeah, I, I mean, like there is actually no obligation to ever actually forgive someone. Like, I don't feel like Mark needs to forgive Anissa. I think he definitely needs to embrace Marky, and we see that process happen towards the end of this book. But, like, even if a person is changed, it doesn't obligate you it to... It doesn't arrest, er, erase, erase what they did. Exactly, right. and it doesn't actually erase the hurt. I, I just think that it's really important to recognize, like... We can't hold people re responsible for the thing they did not know. And, uh, and Anissa just didn't know. I also think it's important to the story of Invincible, and this is, I think, the root of my uncomfortableness with it, is that every character, or at least a lot of the characters, most of the major characters, have committed an act of evil. Mm. From Nolan to Mark... To Alan, you know, they're all, they've all done things that are, you know, that that us, the readers, humans, uh, our culture would consider bad. Right. And personally, on past reads of this story, 
it was easier for me to just fall into the logic of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few versus the needs of the few outweigh the needs of the many. The way that it was broken down into such a, a, a an easy binary in some of my favorite films, like Star Trek Two and Star Trek Three, right? Mm -hmm. And the binary is not as easy for me to accept in Invincible right now as I'm reading it for the third or fourth time. Because it's being challenged constantly and a challenge by Mark specifically. Like, I mean, you could argue that Anissa was, uh, did what she did for the greater good, for the greater good of the Yeah, Belgian but what Heights. I'm also saying is like where I am in my life's journey today reading this is very different than where I mm. was the last time I read it. Yeah. At the same time, Lisa, I love a space battle and we're going to get an epic space battle with so much Ryan Otley blood and Adam Eve, you're not invited. Right, because she can't breathe in space. I mean, it's a really great argument. She at first is defensive when Mark says, like, it's better if you stay with the breathable air <laughs> because, like, she has been feeling like she's been pushed aside when it comes to the superheroing and she doesn't want to just because she's a mother give up her passion for space war you know just because but like mark puts it all in perspective by saying like i am the individual more equipped to existing without air and we need to keep one parent yeah. We need to keep one parent for Tara. Yeah. And now they're like, she, maybe we shouldn't be fighting this war together because if we both go out, what is Tara going to do? But also, like, I think also part of the argument is you're not that useful in this fight. Like, let's be honest. You can't breathe. You're you're going to have right. to come. Like, yeah, Adam and Adam Eve agrees. She agrees to that. But she also finds another way to be of use. So, like, she isn't participating in the way that she anticipated, but she's still participating more than I think Mark would approve of in the moment of this argument. And like all things in Invincible, the choice is going to be removed for her anyway. Right. <laughs> you know, she's going to have to meet that space uh, eventually. Now, this issue ends with a Great cliffhanger. While the Viltrumites of Earth engage with Throg's children in, uh, in orbit, uh, Robot, he has a strategy, of course, and he is kidnapping the children of the Viltrumites of Earth and stockholding them. Yeah, because he's Stockpiling like, them. Because if this war doesn't go well, it would be good for us to have some enslaved Viltrumites on our side to protect Earth. The final issue of part one is mostly just brawling. And most of that brawl is the brawl between Nolan and Throg. And it is, as you would expect, epically brutal and violent. And the end of this issue is Nolan being impaled by Throg. And the final page is... What like what is the emotion when I look at the final page of part one of the end of all things and it is Mark watching his father be impaled, being held down by all these children of Throg. He's screaming out, tears are in his face, blood is spitting out. And like one of the cool effects about all these fight sequences in space is how Ryan Otley draws the zero G bloodshed. Mm -hmm. And so that last page, you get tears floating out into space, blood floating out into space, and Mark screaming in agony as his father, you know, for 
all intents and purposes, die. Right. Let's use our mood meter, shall we? <laughs> I would say... Actually, um, it's kind of complicated. Like, that face is actually kind of complicated to place on the Mark Brackett's mood meter. Okay, well, we, we both agree that it is low pleasantness, right? Definitely low pleasantness. Do you think that he is fully energized? <sighs> I think he looks exhausted. I, I like to me the expression is obviously sadness of some kind, exhaustion, and maybe despair. Yeah, I think maybe he's. Uh, yeah, uh, I think low pleasantness, despairing is all the way low, and then low energy. So despairing is low, low energy. Um, but I would say also maybe he's panicked. Yeah, maybe yeah. he's furious. In that There's upper left so much corner. going on in that face. And again, like Ryan Otley, just killing it. Yeah. So now we're moving on to volume 25, The End of All Things, part two. And it opens with Eve seeing Nolan's ripped body floating out in space. And this is where she decides. Like, can you even call it a body? It's like pieces. Yeah. It's like I, a torso and head. Yeah. It looks like his body has been turned into the letter C, like the, a backwards letter C. <laughs> yep. Like that whole center is missing and open. And so she bubbles up and starts going out to rescue him. And we begin to see Ursal really taking in how the people on the other side of the war are treating each other. So Alan sees his friend's body, sees Nolan's body ripped in space, and he begins to cry. And then Eve flies by and goes like, focus on the fight. I'm just going to retrieve Nolan. I'm going to take him straight to medical. And then this like kind of dragon looking individual <laughs> goes after Eve. Yeah, Throg's dogs, basically. Anissa, of all people, sacrifices her life to protect Eve. And in her dying moments, asks Eve to tell Mark that she is sorry, but also says that he will understand when Mark sees him, meaning Marky. Now contrast that to Throg literally throwing Ursal's siblings at the other side. Yeah, he's transformed his children into baseballs and bats. He's using legs and arms as clubs against Mark. And once Throg has really started engaging with Mark and they start moving the, the battle towards the sun, the second Throg's back is turned, Ursal surrenders the rest of the army to Earth. She says... Stop, to her own side. She says to the Filtramites, stop, our father has abandoned us. He no longer fights for us if he ever truly did. So I will no longer fight for him. No more of our brothers and sisters will die. Who will join me in this surrender? And literally everybody does. I'm a little surprised that it was that easy to convince the children of Throg to hand themselves over to Alan. Uh, but I guess also they're not blind and they're seeing the same things that Ursal's seeing. When you are having the worst experience of your entire life and you are certain that you're going to die and somebody gives you permission to stop. Yeah, like, good point. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think that... Uh, 
Uh, they're just looking for the opportunity to stop doing what they're doing. And they take it, and they take it. And the first issue of the last chapter ends with Throg and Mark duking it out on the surface of the sun, or very close to the surface of the sun. And then in the very next issue, they are in the sun. They fall into the sun, and they can only communicate for so long because the toll that the sun is committing upon them plus the toll that they are committing upon each other, robs them of the ability to communicate, their telekinesis. And what's fascinating about this issue is how once they, can, once they stop talking to each other, Mark can only communicate what he wants to say to Throg to himself. The issue basically becomes a manifesto of what Mark believes in and why Mark will win this fight. Not a manifesto. Let's use some Dr. Mark Brackett language. This becomes Mark's charter. Yes. And he says, like, Throg, you're fighting for revenge. You're fighting for your own glory. That is literally hollow. There's no one for you to enjoy your revenge with. And when my father allowed you to live, that proved that what a leader my father truly was. And as Mark is literally going off on his head, shouting at Throg, even though Throg cannot hear him, one of Robot's shells yes. comes into the sun and in like engulfs Mark so that he can continue fighting. And he goes like, I'm so beloved that my literal enemy <laughs> sent help. And look around. No one is coming to help you because you're fighting for no one and nothing. Every punch I throw, I do on behalf of everyone I love and everyone who wants to see me succeed because they too love. As a Viltrumite, your only, your only value is strength. So when you're fighting for strength, ultimately there can be only one. It's no wonder that the Viltrumites practically went extinct when they were getting rid of all of the people who didn't fit this untouchable ideal, the Viltrumites ultimately dwindled because they were going from conquest to conquest to conquest. And what Mark's aim is, is instead of fighting for conquest, fighting for love, prioritizing peace, compassion, and contentment. And the way that he is speaking or thinking that charter, Lisa, it sounds as if it's his last thought. Like he is preparing to perish in the sun along with Throg. However, Rex is not the only person who sends a little aid towards Mark. Alan himself dives into the sun and retrieves him and pulls him back to a starship. And man, on that gurney, Mark looks like a little piece of charcoal. And it looks like, you know, could this be the end for our hero? And you're also thinking, wait, hold on. This is chapter two of the final trade paperback. What else is there to do in this story? Of course, there is Rex to deal with still. We get to see a good example of Tara and Debbie co-regulating because news gets back to Telescria that Nolan has been injured and Tara finds Debbie packing and being weak and crying. And um, Debbie says, like, the war is over. And Tara's like, then, then why aren't you happy? 
and Debbie tells her that her grandfather's hurt, and Tara immediately embraces her grandmother and goes to comfort her, saying, like, you know, when people in our family get red, they usually are fine, right? Yeah, yeah. And she does that hug in flight. She flies up to hug Debbie. Mm, it's a really nice detail. It's really, really sweet. Meanwhile, you know, talking about someone getting red but being fine, <laughs> Mark is well on his way to recovery, though he looks kind of like Frankenstein's monster right yeah, here. Yeah, but, but he's in better condition than poor Nolan, who has somehow survived being torn into the letter C or the backwards letter C. <laughs> I want to point out something, though, oh, between okay. sorry, Mark sorry, and sorry, Eve. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Eve tells Mark, like, hey, this war is over. We're finally free. They, they, this entire series, they, well, since Tara's been born, they've been looking for a place where they can just kind of hide out and be a family and be safe. Yeah, Throg is gone, but their problems are not. Mark finally gets to go in and see his dad, as you brought up, and Nolan has to break it to him that, like, hey, sorry, son, I'm not getting better. Yeah, I'm on my way out. Somehow his heart got damaged and it's just not going to be strong enough to keep him alive. Therefore, Mark, it's time for you to take over and lead the Viltrumites. Like, the the Viltrumites need you. And Nolan gives a good, hard case for why Mark should lead. Mark was the instrument of change in Nolan's heart. Therefore, Mark can be the instrument of change for the Viltrumites as a people. And Mark goes to counter that by saying, no, no, you can't, you can't lay that all on me. You're, you raised me with humanity too. Right. right? Uh, you have to be culpable for your own change. You changed, and the fact that you changed means that the Viltrum people can change. You need to lead them. And yeah, and the Viltrumites are already changing. Right. The argument that Mark is making is, I'm not mature enough yet. I'm not ready. But there is no choice. Like, that's how monarchy works. Well, Nolan's final argument and his victory is his death. Right. So right. Nolan dies as Mark is trying to explain why he is not capable of leading the Viltrums. And in Nolan's death, that's the final that's the final word on the matter. Which goes directly contrary to all of the promises Mark has made to Eve. Yeah. And so the next time we see Mark, he's looking a lot better. Like Some his hair is growing back, his skin has grown back. But uh, Eve is not happy. And based on Debbie's silent treatment, she doesn't want Mark to be emperor either. And Mark is being defensive. He's like, well, what am I supposed to do? It was my father's dying wish and my people need me. And Eve is like, your people? I thought Tara was your people. I thought I was your people. Subtext, what about this whole being a hero is bullshit? Thing. She goes on to say, like, what about that safe life that you were promising us? And Mark goes, like, how could you be more safe than having the entire Viltramite army protect you? And she doesn't have a response to that. And she goes, like, you know, she just kind of changes the subject, like, go wake up your daughter. And Mark goes like, hey, you didn't have a comeback. That must mean that I'm winning this argument. 
And she kind of gives a like a a sad but conceding expression. Uh, like, I, like I feel like she, I mean, I think the way that she responds with just go and based on the expression on her face, I think it's more than just a sad concession. I feel like she's giving it to him. I think she's kind of proud at, of him anyway, mm. even though he's not living up to this promise. She is proud that Mark is making this huge commitment. When Mark goes to wake up Tara, he kind of takes a moment to really see her and see her vulnerability and connect her to the child that he used to be. He talks about like, when you're a kid, you're always looking past your father. Like you see the fight ahead, but between you and that fight is your dad. And he realizes that one day, like right now, Tara is looking past him and seeing him as the thing between her and the fight of the rest of her life. And he's not looking forward to one day her being like him having to look into the abyss alone. Yeah, and, and he doesn't want to wake her. It, it almost seems cruel to wake you. Now, of course, again, it's invincible. So, you know, <laughs> as he's having an emotion, as he's processing some thoughts, uh, that's when Rex shows up with all his drones. You know, uh, we have to we have to have a conversation, Mark. So what Rex is doing with all of the Viltramite children is holding them hostage and making all of the Viltramites who have settled on Earth go against Mark because Rex knows that Mark hates him. Right. And so if Mark turns against Rex, he's going to turn all of the Viltramites against Rex and they're going to destroy the planet. Rex is trying to do what Mark did with the Viltramites, right? So Mark brought... Throg's army to Earth to force the Viltramite's hand, and Rex is trying to do the exact same thing now against Mark. Except now Mark has faith in the Viltramites and has the faith in his coalition of heroes that are already on Earth, and he has faith in himself to finally take Rex down. I've taken Throg out. Now I can actually do what I was afraid to do. I can confront the person that I couldn't confront before. I think there is a really, really important difference between what Mark did through Nolan and what Rex did. Mark, yes, he did kind of force the Viltramite's hand, but Nolan still gave them the choice. True, Do you true. want to stand yes, up yes, for Earth? Yes, yes, Rex is putting them in a place of actual distress. I'm going to hold on to your children. Threat. I mean, threat. there's legit threat. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. I'm going to hold on to your children, and I'm going to turn them into my army eventually. I would say that that difference is actually pretty small. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, because that's, I mean... It's the, crucial, but small. But at the same time, the Viltramites could leave. Uh, like, to me... Choosing to fight and holding hostages in order to manipulate someone to fight. Like, the reason I want to make this difference is because 
of what Mark does later. Well, that's the, the reason I want to sh not make that difference is because of what Mark does later. So you're saying that, like, Mark bringing the Viltrumite War to Earth was foreshadowing? I mean, it's part of the evolution of Mark, of what Mark becomes mm. at the end of this book. Yeah. Eve also has a hand at play in this battle, too. She goes to Ursal and convinces Ursal to gather her siblings and fight on their side and take Rex down. And Mark goes to Immortal, and Immortal's been waiting for this moment, and Immortal wants to hold this over his head for a little bit, but Immortal also ultimately agrees, now is the time, let's do this. And then it's fight, 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 and as they are fighting, the, the, the Viltrumite parents of Earth do engage with Mark, but Mark with Craig, the, the, the Viltrumite with the cybernetic guy he grabs craig and says i am going to free your children have faith in me i will be your hero yeah. is basically what he's saying and craig agrees and in the battle can the, the viltrumite parents join mark and so now it is just mark and the world and all these armies against robot and his drones which is exactly what Mark wants. So Mark finds the one drone that has Rex in it. Thanks to Monster Girl. Yeah, thanks Amanda. And then drags him into space so they can have one more heart-to-heart -heart chat. That conversation does not go well for Robot. Well, what Robot says is like, I've created world peace. You can't argue with me about that. And the reason I created world peace is because I'm empty inside. Subtext being like, I'm a sociopath. I have Pure no logic. emotion. Right. Right. I do not need permission to feel because there is no <laughs> feeling in here. And because of that emptiness, I'm able to make these calculated decisions that spare the most lives. And I love that Robot is saying, you know, you're racking your brain right now, trying to think of a way that you can keep one and lose the other, right? Like, you, 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 you don't want to kill me. You know, you want, you want me around. You want this to happen and you want the safety of my presence here. And Mark says, yes, I am thinking about that. And I figured it out. And then he 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 does a throg on him. He, he puts his fist throg. through his chest. But what his solution is, like, I'm going to just take the useful part of robot. Yeah. I'm going to take his brain. Yeah. And I'm going to put it back in a jar. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> but any decision that he makes, we'll just run it past immortal. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it, yeah, so he doesn't actually kill robot he he removes robot's shell and leaves what what mark thinks is just the good part that they can use like this notion that they can use the strategies of this feelingless you know robot wrecks just his brain for the better good that seems like a huge problem but this goes back to what we said at the very introduction of this episode Robert Kirkman is now creating story threads that will not be completed in Invincible. He wants the question of where is this story going left out there for us to complete. I think you and I, Lisa, know that this moment, this brain in the jar 
will have to be dealt with at some point, even if we don't see that conclusion here. And it, like, it does, you know... Uh, you say that, but at the same time, we have this panel of uh, robots' brain going like, I think you're right. You're right, Mark. Things are better this way. But then we get later on in the final issue of Invincible where the brain is trying to have a conversation with Amanda still. Right. So there is like that story is left hanging at the end of Invincible. Yeah, that's true. And so ultimately, any frustrations I have where where Mark goes and the decisions he makes in the final issues of Invincible could be resolved in future issues of Invincible that will never be. Like, I can wrap up this story in a satisfying way, but only in my head. That's my big takeaway from this Invincible reread. Yeah, I don't know. Because, like, it's not like the other volumes of Invincible that um, just stop at the end of the story. We go literally 500 years in the future. Yes, that is true. Okay. But let's, okay, let's just put a pin in that thought, a pin in my frustration for a second. Yes, because Mark still hasn't met Marky. So as he's going back to the Viltrumites who have been contained and their spouses, and Eve makes an introduction. Mark, this is Scott, Anissa's husband, and their daughter, Molly. And this is Anissa's son, Marky. Oh, 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 oh. And Marky is like, is mom really dead? Oh, man. Then we pick up in the next issue two weeks later, and Mark is getting, what is it called? Anointed? Anointed? Yeah, he's the emperor of the Viltrumites. And Tara turns over to Eve and goes like, what makes daddy so special again? (laughs) And Eve is like, shh. Good question, Tara. There is one person who is conspicuously not present at the ceremony, and that is Debbie. And Mark goes to find her at Nolan's grave, and uh, he's kind of like, "What? What? why did you miss the ceremony? And she's like, you know what? I am just kind of feeling done with the Viltrumites altogether. Been there, done that. I'm really proud of you still. I'm proud of what you're doing. And I will be here on Earth when you want to visit, but this is me kind of bowing out. And I'm proud of you, and your dad would be proud of you. And, like, I I think this goes back to her giving him the silent treatment. She does not approve of him becoming emperor, but she still respects his decision. Like, I don't approve, but at the same time, way to go. I love the next scene with Mark and Alan, where basically they come to terms with the fact that they are no longer like true friends, but Mark and the Viltrumites will be friends to the coalition and will cooperate with them as long as the coalition's interests don't get in the way of the Viltrumites' interests. The Viltrumites are my priority. And we see... Eve react to this story. Clearly, Mark has told this conversation to Eve because Eve then says, the Viltrumites are your priority? I thought I and Tara were your priority. And Mark's response to that is a little strange. He says, well, you know, the Viltrumites are on the brink of extinction and I can love you equally. And Eve accepts this pretty easily. She says, well, 
We're going to need to do like, what, what was the, what's the percentage that she gives? She, she says, says 60, 40. It needs right? to be 60% your family, 40% the Viltramites. And that, that conversation, it's very serious and it's kind of dark, but it ends in an upbeat kind of, you know, uh, with an understanding. And it's, it, it's an impressive understanding for Eve. Cause again, this situation is just so incredible. So I see a really bad habit that we spoke about in our first episode with Mark and Eve that Mark is doing again in a big way. He's making decisions without her. Exactly. Right? They're not communicating. So yeah. she goes like, so I guess we're going to live on the moon with the Viltramites and just stop on Earth from time to time. And he goes like, I don't know. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And she goes, oh, really? And you're not going to like it. I've, I've, I'm going to be making this decision inside my brain. And when I have come to the conclusion, I'll tell you what we're doing. And then, you know, a, a serious communication moment could happen. But like we've seen over and over and over again, something else gets in the way. Marky is losing his mind without his mother. He is he has gained his powers and he is terrorizing the citizens of Earth in his in his grief. In his grief and in his terror cuz guess what? Nobody told him that he was going to have superpowers. Right, and Mark has been ignoring Marky. He does not want to deal with Marky because it's a lot. But now he has to. Immortal gets him on the line and Marky and or Marky and Mark and Eve fly to Marky to have about as serious as a conversation as they could have while Marky's freaking out. Mark is just trying to fix it in like one fell swoop. He's like, Marky, I'm your dad. And Marky straight up faints and starts falling out of the sky. And Eve then cradles him and is like, I'm going to take him to the Pentagon. You've got to take care of this mess. And we find out later that Eve is really upset with Mark because he feel, she feels like, Marky's outburst is because Mark hadn't taken care of this responsibility because he's been sooner. ignoring her. Right. Yeah. And the next issue is when we get the last retelling of the history of the Viltramite people, where Mark is explaining to Marky why he has powers and where his people come from. Right. And it eventually gets settled that. Marky is going to stay with his dad, the dad that has been raising him, and he'll have Debbie now as his grandmother. But essentially, it's not like Marky is going to go, you know, tramping through space with Tara as and, a sibling. And this is husband is Scott. That's yeah. his name. I really like the fact that the comic takes a moment for Scott to say to Mark, look, you know, Marky's staying here. You're all going to go off into space. But Marky and Marky's sister, which is Molly, Molly, Marky and Molly and I are going to we're going to remain on Earth. Yes, because Mark has made the decision since Marky has discovered his powers. He created all of this havoc. Therefore, the Viltramites have to leave Earth because we're going to have this entire generation of Viltramites coming of age and then creating chaos, essentially. And so you have this one page where Scott is telling Marky, like, you you have Space Dad and you have me on Earth. I'm still your father. And Marky's 
recognition of like, oh, wow, Space Dad. And then the final panel of that page is Marky hugging Scott and saying, real dad. I have Space Dad and I have real dad. Mm. And th that's just such an invincible moment. It is beautiful. I have to correct something that I said, though. I said that it was Mark's idea that the Viltrumites leave it's Earth. It's Rex's idea. Exactly. Rex says that, uh, Rex's brain says that Marky's incident is only the beginning and all of the rest of the Viltrumites are ticking time bombs and Eve stands up for the Viltrumites saying like, that's absurd. Every child isn't going to react the way that Marky did. Marky didn't know. So we could tell all of the Viltrumite children, hey, you're gonna get powers, we can train them. They can contain, they can contain their powers and live peacefully amongst humans. But Mark buys into Rex. He, he, he believes in Rex's point of view and that's why they leave. Right, he says that it's just going to become too unmanageable. And he doesn't want to get in the way of the evolution of Earth, which I think is BS, but he is going full prime directive here. Right. You know, it's too late, Mark. You've already affected the evolution of Earth. And Eve later tries to argue with Mark, going like, all of these Viltrumites have settled here. They're happy here. How are you going to convince them to leave? And he goes like, I don't have to convince them to leave. I'm emperor, right? So I can just tell them to leave. So he's going full robot here. In my opinion, yes. He's removing their autonomy. He's taking away the choice that Nolan, his father, gave them. So I feel really weird about the last issue of Invincible. I think it is a great read and I love how it skips through time and we see all these various story threads that Robert Kirkman is setting up for us to complete in our own imagination. I think that is super clever, but I am extremely weirded out by where Mark ends in this series as emperor of the Viltrumites. Right, right. And just ordering them around. So Marky eventually grows up and becomes invincible. Oh, Kid invincible. That's another messed up thing. So even though it was Marky's fault, uh, you know, quote unquote fault, for having, for showing that Viltrumites can't live on Earth, Marky, thanks to nepotism, is the one Viltrumite that gets to stay. Like, oh, you know, like everybody else has to follow orders, well, but like, this guy is going like, to get special treatment. Well, I mean, to me, it makes sense within the context of Invincible. I do think it's kind of funny and it is, yes, I, I do think it's a little bit messed up. That That is an, an element that doesn't necessarily bother me that much because again, it is establishing this story idea that Mark will have to have a serious confrontation with Kid Invincible. Mark has become his father and in becoming his father, he will kind of become an enemy to his son and also to his daughter. I like that, mm -hmm. but again, I have to resolve all those conflicts outside of the comic. Yeah, yeah. It's just that like, I, I do like that we see Tara grow up and she eventually rebels against her father and becomes a conservationist. But like the implication is that she is the conservationist and he is the fascist. Yeah, and we're seeing all these various battles. We're seeing glimpses of storylines, story arcs that reflect 
what has already happened over the course of the last 15 years of Invincible. Right. So the Viltrumites end up dissolving the coalition and they take it upon themselves to kind of be the superheroes of space. So we don't really need, we don't really need a coalition of planets. I mean, yeah, the Viltrumites replace it. Mark replaces them. You know, Mark becomes Alan. Mark becomes Nolan. Mark becomes Robot. But only because he's the strongest race, right? Yes, because he's a Viltrumite, because he is the ultimate Viltrumite. And I just, I like, I just don't think Mark learns the things that I would like Mark to learn. Yeah. he. In fact, I go like, I feel like where Mark ends up is directly contrary to his entire arc for these last five volumes. Uh, Four it, volumes? Yeah. I, like, I, I, is, it in con- is it contrary to his arc? Or, he just, or is like, it inevitable? It's in a, I guess. I mean, I guess he. there was a fork in the road, right? Where he could go full... Like, being a hero is bullshit. Everybody should have autonomy to have their family the way that they want to have them and blah, blah, blah. Or I could just become my dad and be an emperor. Like, to me, it is... Mark is all those evil people without the evil. Right. Right? You right. know, Mark is able to do what Robot couldn't because he is quote, unquote, not, not evil. evil. And I like, I, right, like, right now on this reread... It is something that I find difficult to deal with. And, you know, the we're now, like, I'm just jumping us to the last page of the story. Oh, we do find out uh, Eve is also immortal. Yeah, and I, I kind of like that moment. Like, oh, really? I, I, do you not like that moment? I don't like that moment. Because I, I feel like mortality is so important to humanity. Like, it, it it's what makes us precious. And like for her to just have immortality or have a, a like an even more elongated mortality because she's a superhero, it just like doesn't feel. But what what it does do is it maintains the core issue of Mark and Eve's relationship, where they never fully get a chance to communicate. Mm-hmm. You know, and they go through cycles of outbursts and anger towards each other. However, what they have is the confidence that they will remain a couple. Yeah. And and, and it just, it leaves me feeling, feeling funny. If I said that already, it leaves me feeling a little funny. So I guess our like answer to when are they going to be able to just, you know, relax and enjoy each other's company. It's when they're living in a mansion and Tara is just hanging out but by the pool. I, but but I, my my response to that, Lisa, is no, they, they will never have a moment. This moment, this last page of Invincible is just a moment of respite, like many moments of respite that we've gotten over the course of Invincible. Mm. You know, conflict is always coming. Uh, anger and outbursts are always coming. Miraculously, Mark and Eve have survived to this moment, something that I did not actually think was going to happen yeah, as I, I was reading Yeah, I did think they Invincible. were dead at one right? point. Right? I mean, I definitely thought Eve was going to die at, at multiple times over the course of this arc. I thought there were times when Mark was going to die and Tara and Marky were going to carry on the mantle of them. But Mark and Eve are going to remain. Like they they are going to get their happy ending or they're going to get an ending. I don't ever see them breaking up or being ripped apart. I believe in the confidence that they have with 
over their relationship. I believe in their relationship and the confidence that they have in their relationship. But, I mean, I believe in our relationship, but one of us is going to die first. Yes, we have a humanity that Mark and Eve no longer have. Mm -hmm. What they're missing for me is the infinite all-in. Silver Surfer. Yeah, from Silver Surfer, where when you enter a lifetime relationship with someone, there is that 50-50 chance of you being the person who has to die alone. And, like... I think having them both be immortal and be able to go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever removes the stakes. Yeah, but again, I would imagine if we were going to continue writing this series or if Robert Kirkman was going to continue writing this series, at some point, Mark would have the end that Nolan had. Like, Mm. tragedy is in their future because tragedy is always in everyone's future. And... I think we can end Invincible on this moment, like Kirkman, Otley, and Walker, because Walker illustrates these last batch of pages. They can end with a a, a resolution that is like things are going to be okay in the sense that Mark has made a place for Marky and Tara. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this is not the end. Like it's not the end. And again, again, I keep saying this what Kirkman has done is created all these story threads where for me, I need to, in my mind to make invincible, a satisfying story. I have to complete them for myself. Right. But like before you read to me, what Robert Kirkman said of like, Oh, I'm planting all of these story eggs so that people can just imagine what happens next. Like I did not get that from reading Invincible. To me, like, I saw this as a tying up of loose ends. We have an a, an ending that Immortal is happy with. We have an ending that Robot is happening with. We have an ending that Alan is unhappy with. But everybody is free now from the Coalition of Planets. And it's not the satisfying. Viltrum- like, no. Uh, to me, it's it's... Like, it's not like this, like, open-ended thing where it's like anything could happen. I think we're saying the same things. I agree that I am not satisfied with Invincible as it is presented here. But when you have that that Kirkman quote that finishes the story for you? Well, what the Kirkman quote did for me is it told me that I have to finish the story. And I do think that the last issue of Invincible is very clever and very readable. And that that unsatisfying ending is itself maybe satisfying, also frustrating. This like, is what you're what you're hearing from me in this episode is um, confusion right. over how I ultimately feel about the ending of Invincible. This is your. I don't know how many times you've read Invincible through. This is like my third or fourth. This is my first time reading Invincible through. And that, and also, like, I've been reading it with the principles of permission to feel in the forefront of my mind and thinking, like, it is best for people to be able to express their emotions and take, and the best decisions are made when you take other people's emotions into account. And I feel like the ending of Invincible runs contrary to permission to feel where Mark is taking 
the choice out of the the Viltrumites' life by yes. not allowing them to continue the life they made for themselves when Nolan was emperor. Yes, yes, yeah. I, like, hmm, I here's how. This is how I'm going to state my final feelings about Invincible as a whole. Uh, and I guess you, because I did not. I, I think we should also take into account that I did not reread the beginning of Invincible. My mm. reread this time started with Modern Family. My reread of the beginning is fresher than yours. Right, correct. So ultimately, what I would say is that I am not satisfied with the ending. Or, hmm, no, I'm not going to use the word satisfied. I do not like this ending for Mark. And I don't think he learned the things that I wanted him to learn at the same time as a reading experience and as a counseling session experience, I am deeply satisfied with what we have done with Invincible and what Invincible does. So if someone was going to ask me, well, would you recommend Invincible? I would absolutely say yes. And if someone was to ask me, "Is do they stick the landing? I would say it's complicated mm. and worth a conversation. Yes, like... I like my dissatisfaction with the ending and how Mark has ended things doesn't spoil all of Invincible for me. I'm not like one of those people where it's like, if it doesn't end the way I want it to end, then the entire thing is ruined. But like, to me, like, I was seeing Mark's storyline as a thesis statement, which I guess, you know, expectations is the enemy of a good time. <laughs> but when you don't, like, when there is a message being delivered by a story and then something happens that runs contrary to the message. It kind of, it's jarring to me because it makes me go like, oh, I thought I was with you this whole time. It turns out I'm, I was not with you. I do wonder if Robert Kirkman, Ryan Otley, and Corey Walker interpret the ending the way that I interpret the ending where Mark has become a combination of robot and Nolan. Mm, yeah. Like he does say. Mark says. Mark says like. Throg what you're doing is empty. Because you're not doing it. for With love in your heart. And not doing it with compassion and care for others. So. So I guess what he's doing is. Well I can do what you're doing. But I'm going to do it from a place of compassion and love. So I guess both ways, he still ends up emperor. And like from the creator's perspective, is Mark doing it better than Rex, Throg, and even Alan and Nolan make it a win? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like I do have, you have a quote from Robert Kirkman that kind of brings it all together for you. I have a Quote as well from Dr. Mark Brackett. <laughs> okay, Leah, let's do it. May I read this to Please. you? As we learn what we need to be an adult and to sustain a home or family, we take in the emotional experiences like the air we breathe. We carry those emotional patterns forward with us, the good and the bad, often replicating them. And in our home, the cycle repeats built on the emotional foundations of the one where we started out. Many of us go through life trying our hardest to avoid precisely that fate. We strive to be anything but our parents. And then, inevitably, comes the moment when we hear ourselves say, 
Where did that come from? Suddenly, we realize we've been carrying our parents around inside us all of our lives. Mm. So to me, I feel like Mark has spent this entire story trying to rebel and not be his dad. And he ends up being his dad anyway. Yeah, and I think Robert Kirkman would say that is certainly true. Like, that feels intentional. But I think on his deathbed, Nolan recognized that he became Mark too. And I think that that's the part we often ignore. That, like, while our parents are teaching us, against their very will, perhaps, we are teaching our parents. And the more that we recognize that exchange, the more compassionate we'll be intergenerationally. We become our parents and we become our children. Yes. And I dig that. I really do. And I think where it gets a little funky for me is not in that, but it's in how Mark reflects robots behavior. That's what I'm hung up on, on this reread. I'm also a little bit hung up on where Eve ended up, where she she entered these volumes specifically going like, I want to fight alongside you. I want to be involved. I want to be part of making decisions. And And Mark sidesteps her. Mark is like, no, I'm deciding where we live. I'm deciding the fate of the Viltrumites. I'm going to decide. Like, so I feel like she really loses out on her autonomy. And so at the end of the day, at the end of these, what's this? This is our uh, fifth episode on Mark and Eve. At the end of these counseling sessions, I feel like the communication is still not there all the way to the end of this series at least all the way to the end of that decision making, because it's hard to say what 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 they go through between the panels of this right, last of issue. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and and so Mark making that critical decision at the very end of the book without her is just a you know that's just what they do. That's the that's the pattern that they continue to have. Like that's the pattern. That's yeah, their that's pattern. their pattern. And I think like there are the mistakes that you're just going to make the rest of your life. Because yeah. we're all just limited in right, how much right. we can grow, perhaps. Right, right. You, 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 you um, continue to repeat your faults and you try to mend them, you try to fix them, you're aware of them, but sometimes you just can't escape them. But Mark and Eve have an infinite, a, a virtually infinite amount <laughs> right. of time to continue working on themselves. And I, and it's I, it's a process. I, it's a process, and like, As long as they agree to grow together, I think that there's always hope. And I think at the end of the day, I still like them as a couple. I'm glad they're together. And I I do have the faith that they seem to have in their relationship working. Me too. And we basically already entered the reflection time, Lisa. But just uh, going back to Mark Brackett and Permission to Feel, what is your ultimate takeaway from that book and uh, his advice as a love expert? I think ultimately what I'm taking away from Dr. Brackett, especially in this last conversation with Mark and Eve, is that emotions are always going to have to be part of the equation. If the aim in life is to lead one that is happy, that is fulfilling, that leaves you feeling satisfied, you have to consider emotions as you're making conclusions. 
You can't be like Robot and be empty and make the best decision for everybody. I also like to have in front of mind the mood meter not necessarily like literally like ooh you know I'm I'm feeling an emotion better Pull take out, out my chart <laughs> but like the ability to go like ooh I'm feeling some low unpleasantness and high energy I'm getting a little enraged is this a situation that calls for that amount of rage like is what I'm feeling in proportion to the actual situation I really enjoyed the mood meter, but I have to say, like, if I was looking into the future and considering what I will continue to use out of Mark Brackett and permission to feel in these conversations that we've had, I think my biggest takeaway from him are meta emotions. Mm -hmm. And I've already started thinking and considering meta emotions in my life over the last couple of months since we've started talking about Mark and Eve. And I, I think the meta emotions, like the five love languages, uh, like the, the good stuff out of Esther Perel, that that will stick. That's the sticky stuff from for permission to feel. Right. I, I also like the idea. I mean, I guess this stems from that. But the idea of labeling being like a superpower, like labeling going like, what am I actually feeling? I might uh, like, I might feel like, oh, my skin's hot. My heart is racing. Am I enraged or am I just frustrated or am I embarrassed? I do think it's important to go like, you know, not just spin off of the level of energy, but think with specificity what I'm feeling so that I can better come up with a plan to resolve that emotion. Mm. I think I am the kind of person who goes like, um, I'm having an unpleasant emotion. How can I just make that feeling stop as opposed to how do I make the problem stop? Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've really enjoyed our time with Mark and Eve and talking Invincible, and I loved rereading these issues uh I like they th like this series of episodes is going to stick with me for a while and you know we have an opportunity coming up at san diego comic-con to talk with robert kirkman again not about invincible even though it's the 20th anniversary of invincible and they're rolling out the red carpet for this character at Comic-Con this year, we're going to be talking about some other really rad comics that he's involved in and, involved in, and I'm super excited about them. But I'm also kind of considering hijacking that conversation <laughs> to talk about Eve and Mark some more. And maybe we can sneak another question in there and get some resolution to that first conversation with Robert Kirkman that we had those weeks ago. Uh, but also, like, would that be rude to the other people that are involved in that conversation about the Energon universe? <laughs> Probably. We'll see. We'll see what we'll we can do. We'll see if I just give them a piece of my mind. <laughs> no, like, again, like, ultimately, I, I keep using that word, ultimately, I love Invincible. Me too. And the ride of Invincible and these episodes and these conversations that we've had over Mark and Eve's relationship, I've really found uh, enjoyable and satisfying but I've got those questions and those questions weren't there before. And that's fascinating. Yeah. And also like, because like we're spoiled by the comic book universe. Like mm. we have it in our, in the back of our mind of, well, this story could have just kept going and going and going and going forever. Right. 
So like, if it's not ready to stop, why stop? And and sometimes stories just have to stop. Yeah, but 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 what's baked into this one is that it's not stopping, right? Yeah. And you still see people online. We have a buddy, Lance from Comic Book Keepers, who is desperate to see the continuing adventures of Terra. Mm. And I don't know if I have that because I feel like I've got all the Invincible that I need right here. And if that's the case, that's an A+. Yeah. That's a successful comic. I'm sure. good. I'm good. I don't even need the cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> but they're happening. There's no stopping them. Just because the cartoons are happening, Brad, doesn't mean that they have to happen for you. You are the master of your own destiny. But I'm curious, though. <laughs> I know. And that and that's what gets every nerd real riled up. That's true. That's true. And speaking of riled up nerds, it's San Diego Comic-Con week. Woo-hoo! And you heard about all the stuff we've got coming up starting Thursday at the start of this episode. So I won't go over that all over again, but after all that San Diego goodness, our next counseling session will be a one-pod stand, a standalone session focusing on the new original graphic novel from Dark Horse Comics, Light Carries On. This is the first time a publisher has sent us a book specifically for us to use during one of our counseling session episodes, so it's a pretty big deal. And it's a pretty great book. I have already written a review of it for Women Write About Comics. And you can find a link for that review in the show notes. Also, at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, on July 30th at 4 o'clock, Lisa and I will be screening Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, co-sponsored by the Eisner-nominated comic book shop, Four Color Fantasies, Lisa. And if you haven't already had enough of the Gullicksons, <laughs> we have done so many guest star appearances. That is true. Brad on Missing Frames talking Indiana Jones. Yep. Me and Guido from Dear Watchers on Spectales talking to Randall Lotowitz, the author of many books, including the DC Book of Lists. Then both of us were on Comic Book Keepers talking Beta Ray Bill with Lance. And then both of us were on The Amazing Spider Talk talking about the dating life of Mary Jane and Peter Parker, which is currently available on their Patreon. Brad and I are both patrons, but soon to be released in their main feed. Check out their Ron Friends and Tom DeFalco episode in their main feed. Yeah, that episode is so good. They just dropped it last week. Uh, all right, uh, we got we to go. go, Lisa. We got to go. We've been talking a long time. You're right. It is about time. I mean, we've already told our listeners what we'll be up to for the next 500 years. <laughs> We're both going to be by a pool. Neither of us are going to die. I think we'll be at every Comic-Con for the next 500 years. That is the dream, isn't it? Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you, Brad? You can find me on most social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send it to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation on Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, and Threads, though I haven't posted anything there yet. (laughs) If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, limited time only. 
If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. Like our conversation with Daniel Warren Johnson about the nom number nine. Just one dollar or eleven dollars a year. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, Blue Sky, High, Facebook, at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars in Apple Podcasts. Oh, okay. And if you'd like to do an act of service. Oh, yes, please. Why not write a review of the show while you're there? <laughs> I hope that all of my page turning in this episode has just been giving people ASMR. I feel like if we do all of the social medias and then also start doing ASMR videos. Oh, no, videos. Yeah, yeah, videos. Gotta pivot to video, Lisa. At least they'll, they'll only have to look at our hands. Those are the, the ASMR videos I watch. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. That's what I hear anyway. Until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport. Open. Okay. <laughs> what, 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 did, why? I'm doing ASMR. Oh, that's ASMR. Oh, okay. All I right. need those fake nails. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. In this episode, <laughs> I said this weird. You did. In this, well, my phone is in on airplane mode anyway. So many alerts. I'm so popular.